I've said pretty much each week that uh, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, you find that Jesus asks us about 307 questions. And these questions are not always what they appear to be on the surface. They, they tend to probe deeper. They're, they're meant to get us to think about things that we may not be thinking about, to care about things that maybe we need to care about but we don't care about, to be aware of things that we need to be aware of that we may not be aware of. So t- today's question is kind of an oddball one. Why don't we obey? You'll see it in its context in just a minute. Now, most of us, when we hear the word obey, you need to obey. Uh, it's something in us that just kind of grates against us. Obey? You're telling me what to do? Um, it's something about that we, we just don't feel good about. A little, little bit of a biographical admission on my part. Um, age 13 to 23, something kind of clicked at age 13, and uh, I decided pretty much that no one was going to tell me what to do, how to do it, when to do it. I decided I was going to run things my way, and I was not going to obey anything except my own desires. I, I, I guess at some point I thought this was going to bring the very best kind of life that I could have. And so, you know, predictably, uh, predictably as I pursued this, you know, some consequences and things started to occur and uh, those were the external ones you know when you when you live that way just doing whatever you want when you want how you want you're you're going to run into problems with people you're going to run into problems with situations I did but the part that I didn't really consider at all was what happened inside of me at age 23 uh, I was a most miserable human being wasn't very observable necessarily from the outside but inside day after day after day I didn't even understand what peace was I had no peace I I had low-grade anger low-grade hostility there was a lot of frustration a lot of disappointment and the really dark side of this thing was I was increasingly finding myself loathing literally loathing the human being that I had become I didn't count on any of this I mean, I didn't think that that there were any like rules, any spiritual rules, but evidently there are, and I was breaking them knowingly or unknowingly, and I was paying the consequences for breaking these rules. How many of you know it doesn't matter if you care about gravity, acknowledge gravity, if you break gravity, you're gonna you're gonna pay, you're gonna get consequences. Yes, it's just reality. Now the irony was this. So here I was, age 13 to 23, this incredibly rebellious, uh, you know, impossible to deal with kind of a person. But I played Little League hardball during those years. Now, I don't want to give you any false impressions. I was never really that that good. I was mediocre at best. So I don't want to give you illusions like I was some big, you know, athletic hero. Not. I want to be that at best. But I played hardball leagues, you know, through most of my teen years. And here was the interesting thing. When I played in those hardball leagues, those coaches could tell me to do anything and I would immediately comply. I would immediately obey. Now, I was the most rebellious person. I had made up my mind. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, how to do it, when to do it. But when it came to those coaches, I would do whatever they wanted. And I was trying to process this. What, what was going on? Now, I'm telling you these two things because they're going to matter as this message goes on. It's going to be critical that you and I are willing to do a little God-enlightened self-analysis of ourselves as this message goes on. These two examples in my life are meant to give you kind of a grid, something to help you with. So 
I was trying to pick it apart. Why, why did I obey these, these men, the, these coaches? Well, number one, I felt that they were competent. I felt that they knew more about baseball than I knew. Number two, I felt that their character was good enough that I could trust myself to doing what they told me to do. Third point was this. I felt like they and I had a common goal. I wanted to get better if it were possible. It, it, it reached the ceiling. It was not that possible. <laughs> I was just not that good. But I wanted to get better, and I believed that they wanted me to get better. So I want you to let this sink in a little bit. So on the one hand, I am this incredibly difficult kid to deal with, very rebellious, very stubborn, very hard-headed. I was always going to do things my way, but yet when I'm in these hardball leagues, I'm this compliant obedient willingly obedient kid because I trusted in the competence of the coach I trusted in the character of the coach and I trusted in the common desired goals that the coach had for me and the team and that I had to get better tuck all that away tuck all that away Jesus asked this question why do we obey and I think that one of the reasons that we get confused about this whole thing of why does God want us to obey? And we can't get away from it from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, you know, all the way into heaven. Uh, you know, it's very clear that God's will is ultimately going to be done. We pray the prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is done where? I'll tell you a funny story about God's will done in heaven. I was about my second year being a Christian, and I was given this Sunday school class to teenagers. And so, you know, I'm working with them, and, and pretty quickly on, I recognize these kids are not Christians. You know, they, they know the terminology, but these kids are not Christians. And one of the marks of them not being a Christian was that they had no desire to be obedient to God and His Word at all. They, they, they sort of felt like they had their ticket punched. They had made their deal with Jesus, kind of one-and-done-ism. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like when you buy a ticket, you know, on an airplane. You buy the ticket one time. It's going to take you, if you want to go here to California, it's going to get you to California. One-and-done-ism. They, they thought like, well, man, I did this thing with Jesus, you know. I believe that he died for my sins sacrificially and he rose again and uh, I ask him into my heart to be my savior and to change me yada 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 and all these unbiblical things unbiblical things folks unbiblical things but they had no trust in Jesus at all that was clear they had no admiration for him they had no desire to do his will and so I was trying to get through to them and I'm, and I'm trying to get them to see that their disobedient lifestyle didn't match up with what a what an authentic Christian is and so I asked the question I said uh, you know in heaven I'm trying to get them to see that the reason heaven is a cool place the reason heaven is heaven is because everybody in heaven is always obedient to God your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven so I'm trying to get this across them uh, you know they all wanted to go to heaven they were clear on that they didn't want that elevator going down they had heard enough about the down that in that particular church I was in Bethel Bible Church and they didn't they wanted that elevator to go up some of you may be the same and um, so I asked him I said you know does anybody disobey God in heaven because I wanted them to get the the thing that's cool about heaven is everybody does God's will and this one kid raised his hand I said yeah 
He says, yeah, Christians. That was his honest belief that it was normal for Christians to be disobedient to God and that they would be disobedient to God even in heaven. And and, and so this is a barrier, this one and done-ism. I'm gonna give you a different model of of what is scripturally a model for becoming a authentic follower of Christ. It is not one and done-ism. It's like this. If I join the military, okay, I'm accepted by the military, I'm a part of the military, but then my life, I'm going to probably have at least four years that I have to obligate myself. For four years, I'm going to be in an ongoing relationship with the military in which I'm expected to be obedient. I'm expected to trust them. It's kind of like marriage. You know, people don't get married, and then when the ceremony is over, they say, hey, man, it was good, good to meet you. See, see you maybe sometime, and they just got kind of go away, you know, and that's it. No, 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 it's just the start. When I put my trust in Christ and become his follower, his disciple, those things mean the same thing. If we were in Jesus' day, we'd have heard the word disciple, follower, Talmudim, a Talmudim, a follower, a disciple was one that so admired the teacher, the rabbi, and the teaching of the rabbi that all they wanted to do was become compliant, become obedient to the teaching of the rabbi, immerse themselves in his teaching so that they could become like the teacher. When we think Christian, folks, we, we need to make it a contextual adjustment. We need to go back to the first century and understand what Jesus was saying when, when we read in Scripture about putting our trust in Christ and becoming his follower, becoming his Talmudim. It means that I so admire Christ. I so trust him. I so want to be like him. I so like him that I am joyfully going to submit my life to be obedient to him and his word and his will and his ways because I want to be like him. It has nothing to do with elevators going up and down. That's kind of the icing on the cake. But we need to get our minds, our minds clear. Christianity in America has distorted this so badly that I guarantee you there's swaths of you in here that think because you prayed some prayer, asked Jesus to come into your heart, to transform you, make you different, you think that's it, game over, that's, that's all that's involved. No. Christ demonstrated his trustworthiness and his his sacrificial love on the cross to win my trust. So now my trust in him is dynamic. It moves me to want to know him, to learn his will, to learn his word, to study his will, to study his word, to obey his will, to obey his word. Not because I'm afraid of him, not because I'm trying to get into heaven, but because I authentically trust him and want to be like him. Am I talking to you? Does, does Does that describe you? and what you call yourself as a Christian because that's where we got to start because Jesus is going to kind of blow us away here in a minute by what he says so his question revolves around I think a confused idea we have about freedom let let me give you a common a common view a common view of freedom today here's what it goes something like this freedom is doing what I want how I want it when I want it it is restraintless living 
most people's thought out and not so clearly thought out idea of freedom is this that was certainly my idea of freedom age 13 to 23 I thought I was being free just doing whatever I wanted when I wanted how I wanted but I found that it became in fact rather enslaving and rather complicating and rather destructive to my life all right let's get to the context and we'll see Jesus question here we go Luke chapter 6 Luke 6 46 why do you call me Lord Lord and here's the question and do not what does it say do not what I say Jesus is saying that there were some people then as there are some people now oh yes Jesus is my Lord how many of you ever watch these TV preachers there's one in particular I'm thinking of he'll literally at the end of his message almost every week he'll make his whole congregation recite Romans 10 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus or that Jesus is Lord and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved and this guy actually believes that because he gets his congregation to parrot to recite those words that they are saved whatever the word saved means to him no 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 that Romans 10 9 it's significant it's saying that this is a human being that says I don't know who your Lord is I don't know who you're following but my Lord is Jesus take me to the arena because Christians were being dragged into the arena in those days and fed to lions do what you want Caesar's not my Lord Jesus is my Lord and I know he's alive I know he rose from the grave and I'm going to live for him I don't care what anybody else does that's what Romans 10 9 is saying it is not some parroted confession that automatically gives someone some mystical thing called salvation, which usually is computed in our minds to be our sins are forgiven and now we're, now we're going to go to heaven. True enough, when we put our trust in Christ and become his follower, we are forgiven all of our sins. The scripture is clear. We are given the gift of eternal life. I mean, Jesus made it very clear in John 10, 27. He said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me which means they learn his will they do his will they obey him they follow me and I give them free gift I give them eternal life sure enough but Jesus says there were some people then that were calling him Lord Lord if you read the Matthew version of this Matthew 7 Jesus goes so far as to say that on judgment day there's going to be some people that, that say Lord Lord did we not do many wonderful works in your name and cast out demons and do miracles in your name and you know what Jesus response to them is in Matthew 7 he says depart from me you accursed I never knew you now the word accursed depending on what translation you look at it's really a Greek word anemia the New Testament was written in Greek the Old Testament in Hebrew and Aramaic but that Greek word anemia, it means you that practice lawlessness. It meant those that were not because of their trust in Christ who became obedient to his will and his word, but those who said they trusted in Christ but in fact lived any way that they wanted. In other words, they maybe had pockets of their life that were roped off where Jesus' will and word were not allowed in. Do you have roped off areas in your life? where Jesus' will and Jesus' word are not allowed in. You do what you please. But you say, Randy, you, you know, I'm still a Christian. You, you can't be perfect. Nobody's perfect. I'm not talking about perfect, but I do believe in perfect intention. I, I want to be perfectly obedient to Christ in every area of my life. And when I find an area that there's struggle, inconsistency, I go to war, man. I'm going to war with myself because I so am so confident in God's will is better than my will 
I'm going to do whatever it takes to fight the good fight, to put the old self on, to put the new self on, and become the Christ-like person that I desperately, desperately want to be. Once again, am I describing you? So Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? He says it to us today. Don't call me Lord, Lord, in other words, unless you're really going to be obedient to me, unless you trust me enough to obey me. Remember my model? I said I was really rebellious, 13 to 23, wouldn't listen to anybody about anything, but then when it came to playing hardball, I would be compliant and obedient to those coaches. Why? Because I trusted in their competence. I trusted in their character. I trusted in their common desire for, to help me achieve what I wanted to achieve. When we authentically trust Christ, we want to do his will because we believe that that's the best possible thing that we can ever do for ourselves or our world is to let the word of God start to transform our life. He starts giving a model. He says, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words, we all can hear his words, and puts them into practice. Now, you're going to see a distinctive here. There's some that hear and don't put them into practice. There's some that hear and do put them into practice. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. It goes on. But the one... The one who hears my words and does not put them into practice. They say, Jesus is my Lord. I ask him into my heart. But we rope off cordance of our life. And we say, but, but you know, that, that, I, don't, uh, I don't do God's will there. That's, that's kind of a personal area for me. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation, the moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So Jesus asks us, why do you call me Lord if you're not going to do what I ask you to do, if you're not going to do what I command you to do? We, we read in Matthew 28 when Jesus first rose from the grave, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he comes, he meets his disciples, they see him, that he's alive from the dead, they had seen him a week before, but now he's giving them what we call the great commission, it's given to them, it's given to us, he says, go into all the world now, now that you see that I'm alive, go into all the world and make disciples, Talmudim, those that want to be like their teacher, like their Lord, those that are completely submitted and obedient to their Lord, he says, go into all the world, make disciples, Talmudim, followers of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he closes by saying, teach them to, can somebody give me what the next word is? Obey everything that I commanded you. And I am with you always, even until the very end of the age. So, obedience to Christ should be spontaneous, desired, natural, and it, and it should just be that which characterizes one that is an authentic Christian. 
Remember again my model, because I was a very, very rebellious kid, but when it came to those coaches that may or may not have actually deserved my trust, I did trust them. I trusted in their character. I trusted in their competence. I trusted that they had a common goal that was likened to my common goal. So because of my trust in them, I obeyed them. I, I, I followed them spontaneously, fully, because Christ has proven his trustworthiness by his life, his miracles, his teaching, his sacrificial death, most of all, his resurrection. We know that he's competent. He created the universe. We know that he has the character. He sacrificially gave himself for us. And so it's just natural that we would trust him enough to obey him in every single area of our life. Hence, Jesus says to people then and people today, are you thinking about the inconsistency that may exist in your life? Why, he says, why are you calling me Lord? Why are you calling me Lord, he says, if, if you really are going to live any way you want? It's just self-deception. Now, I hope that that's not true of anyone sitting in this room. I mean, we're, we're all at different places. You know, some of us here, we're still contemplating whether we're going to put our trust in Christ and be his follower or not. Some of us have put our trust in Christ and we are th authentically following him. Some have done so for decades. But it, it's a good point for all of us at times to just stop and take stock because we likely have areas in our life that are in, inconsistent with the will and word of God where, where we are still disobedient and Jesus asked the question to us, why are you calling me Lord if you're still not obedient in certain areas? Now, here's what I believe. Obedience seemingly destroys our freedom. I, I think that on some level, the reason we stumble with the idea of somebody telling us what to do, even God, even the creator of the universe, even the one that died a sacrificial death for us, is, is we just feel like if you're telling me what to do, man, I'm just kind of losing freedom. And freedom, freedom to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, that's, that's the life. That's what I think really is going to give me the best life ever. That's what I thought age 13 to 23 and I had to learn the hard way I've learned almost everything the hard way I had to learn by experience that isn't so there are spiritual laws and principles that if I break them knowingly or unknowingly I get broken I don't even know when it's occurring I usually find out too late when there's you know enough damage that I can't miss it anymore but there are spiritual laws I'm made in the image of God I'm made by Christ and I'm made for Christ and when I live consistent with that image I end up getting more results out of life. I develop, I grow, capacities start to take off in me that en enable me to experience life like God himself. But if I knowingly or unknowingly disobey those laws of my nature, the image of God embranded in me, I suffer loss. I may think that I can construct um, a circumstantially ideal life and I'll feel wonderful, but it's not the case if I'm not aligning inwardly with the laws of my being that are put in me by God so let, let's look through some scriptures that kind of show the other side of that that thought about what loss of freedom if I obey God that means there's a lot of stuff I have to stop doing that's right there is <laughs> if you want to be an Olympic athlete there's a lot of stuff you're going to have to stop doing and a lot of stuff you're going to start doing you want to run a marathon there's a lot of stuff you're going to stop doing a lot of stuff how many in here I'm not trying to be offensive I'm just I'm not I'm not and, and I don't want to put anybody on the spot how many in here can read can I see your hands all right, 
almost always. I worked with a man one time that could not read, and, and it, he, it really wounded him terribly. Anyway, um, no shame in that. Some of us, you know, we're, we have a hard time with reading, you know, but, but look like pretty much all of us can read. Now, the truth is, there was a time when somebody more or less commanded us to learn the alphabet. How many of you learned the alphabet with a little song? A, B, C, D, E, F, G. How many, how many? Is that how you did it? Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, your teacher, like, gave you homework, and you had to read flip, jumped over the fence, and all those little, little books. But, but you were commanded. I was commanded by those teachers to do this, do this work, do this homework. Now, I didn't like it at the time. I've never liked to do homework. I never liked to be told what to do. I told you that already. But I'm glad now that I did it because what looked like it was stealing my freedom telling me what to do has now given me given you freedom that you can read the whole the whole world of information is open to us we didn't lose freedom by being obedient to those teachers in fact we gained lifelong freedom james says but we are tempted when we are drawn away and trapped by our what? Our own evil desire. That, that, that's a good description of my life, age 13 to 23. I just live by my desires. I, you know, I was going to experiment. I was going to try it. I, I had some ideas, and I wanted to see how they worked. Then when our evil desires conceive and give birth to sin, which I had plenty of, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And I watched the consequences mount, relational death, uh, even mental death on a lot of fronts emotional death I mean you can just go on and sometimes even physical death had a bunch of friends that died way before when they should have died because of experimentation with lifestyles that we shouldn't have been involved in let's look at another one this talks about false teachers and this is really really pertinent for our generation today like no other generation that's ever been on the planet false ideology false teaching is pervasive today you and I cannot escape it Peter second Peter he warns about this he says they meaning these false teachers these communicators of deceptive truth he says they arrogantly use nonsense to seduce people seduce people how do they do that seduce people by appealing to their sexual what desires especially to sexual what is the word we can't get away from this today sexual freedom it is being emphasized today distorted today lied about today it's going to destroy the wreckage I'm God is my witness you hold me to this the wreckage that we will see 10 years from now if people continue to buy into this nonsense sexual freedom I can be whatever sex I feel like I want to be this is insanity. This is mass psychosis spreading all over our planet. This is a lie. And I say this lovingly. If we affirm these people's lies, if we are so gutless and backboneless that we affirm their lies, we are not their friends. We are their enemies. We have to have the gentleness but the courage to say, no, God made you a man. He made you a woman. You can think whatever you think. I've thought a lot of crazy stuff. I might think I'm a sailboat, but that doesn't make me one. <laughs> you know? 
So we don't do a favor, but, but, but look how pertinent this is to our circumstances today. So especially to their appeal to their sexual freedom, they seduce people who have just escaped from those who live in error. It goes on. They promise these people what? You, you can be free. You're a man, but you want to be a woman. You can be a woman. We, we can do some surgery on you. We can fix you. I'm telling you, folks, hold me to this word. The wreckage is coming. The psychological wreckage, the physiological wreckage of these people that are being seduced by this lie about sexual freedom, it's going to wreak havoc. We're going to have a world full of people so confused, so physically ill, so mentally ill. They won't know who they are. They won't know how they got there, and they won't know what to do with themselves. I am begging some of you that are scared about being an oddball. You're scared about, you know, being controversial. You're even afraid to speak the truth to maybe some of your kids. You better find a way to speak the truth in love to your kids and the people in your circle of influence because insanity is spreading over our planet like it never has before in human history. They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves to corruption. A person is a slave to whatever he gives into. My idea of freedom was doing whatever I want when I wanted how I wanted, but in fact, I was a slave to my own desires. What I was calling freedom ended up being the worst kinds of bondage. And some of you know what I'm talking about because some of the things we dabbled in in our early years, they plague us for decades and they, they sit right ready to pounce on us for the rest of our life. We have to fight them with tremendous vigilance because we open that Pandora's box and we now have a very hard time getting it back under control. Let's look at another one. Proverbs 5 it says an evil man is held captive by his own what so instead of freedom I do what I want I, if I want to sin I sin no 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 those sins end up tying me up they are ropes that catch and hold him this is talking about the power of habit and some of us know only too well how difficult it can be to break some of these habits. We get to the place where in our minds now we know that they're not for our good. They're not pleasing to God. They're not good for us or anybody else. But they have such a death grip on us that it's a real, real struggle. Let me give you a couple thoughts on this thing. Sometimes the reason we don't obey, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't obey? We feel like we're going to lose freedom. We sometimes feel like if I become obedient to God in every area of my life, my life is going to be full of restrictions. I'm not going to be able to do this anymore, and I'm not going to be able to do that anymore, and I won't be able to do the other anymore. And so we start doing a cost-benefits analysis, and we just can't see any upside to it. We feel like I'm going to lose all the stuff that I like, I enjoy, that's pleasurable, and what am I going to gain? We don't understand what we're going to gain until we become obedient, live in it long enough, and then we go, oh, I never dreamt that the quality of life is determined inwardly, not so much outwardly. Sometimes, like I say, we, we have this one and done-ism thing. It's like, oh man, I, I made my prayer, I made my peace with God, I asked Jesus into my heart, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so I can just go ahead and kind of live any way I want now because God knows nobody's going to be perfect. This is deception. This is not the gospel. This is a false gospel. And if you have bought into that, here's the real gospel. Are you ready to put your trust in Christ and follow him? And follow him means I'm going to learn his will from his word and I am going to obey his word because I want to, because I trust him. 
That's what it means to be an authentic Christian. Trust in Christ that demonstrates itself by obedience to Christ. So here's the, here's the conundrum. Obedience seemingly destroys our freedom. Can't do this, can't do that, can't do this. I gotta do this, gotta learn that, gotta do the other. So that feels, it can feel to we of American status, especially like it's restrictive and almost choking the spontaneity out of our life, stealing our freedom, but it's not. In, in fact, it's this obedience actually what does it say develops our freedom imagine somebody that they are the world's greatest expert on marathons they know the history of marathons they know everybody that's ever won a marathon they know where all the marathons are held they they're like an encyclopedia of marathons and then there's this other person they don't know they don't know jack about marathons they just heard it's 26.3 miles and they decide huh I think I'm going to try that. And so they just get out and they, they run a mile and that's all they can do. And they get out the next week and they push themselves and they get two miles. And then they get where they're doing, you know, five miles three or four times a week and on it goes. And they finally get up to where they, they do the 13 miles. And they're like, man, you know, I, I think I could do this. I'm, I'm six months into it, but I'm getting there. And then they finally, and sure enough, they run a marathon. They don't win. They're, they're not that great, but they do it. They run the 26.3. Now, You've got the expert, the world-renowned expert that can answer any question about anything to do with a marathon, but who has never run at all. <laughs> Who's the marathoner? It's the person that did it. You see, it's in the doing. You've got to get this. It's in the doing that we develop. It's in the doing that freedom comes to us. It's in the doing that that which initially feels, looks, and is to some degree impossible, we develop so that what we once could not do, we can not only do, we do it easier and easier, we do it better and better, and all of a sudden it becomes who we actually are. It's in the doing that we develop. And that's why Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Put my word into practice. You'll find the secret. It won't restrict your freedom. It will give you freedom, freedom that is true freedom indeed. Listen to these words from uh, Scripture that kind of enforce this. In Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul is speaking. He says, through him, meaning Christ, we receive grace and we're given the work of being an emissary, other translations say an apostle, on his behalf. Okay, so Paul's saying, I didn't call myself to be an apostle. Jesus picked me to be an apostle, but, uh, an apostle, but here's what I'm supposed to be doing. On his behalf, promoting, he's communicating, promoting, what does it say? Trust, grounded, what is the last word? Obedience. All through the scripture, Genesis, Revelation. Trust in God that is authentic manifests itself in obedience to God. I trust him, so of course I do what he says. I trusted those goofy baseball coaches. Uh, it was probably misplaced trust to a degree, but I was obedient to them because I trusted them, and it felt okay. It was spontaneous. I, I enjoyed obeying them because of my trust. So, this is the, the, the core of what it means to be a Christian. I trust Christ, and the acid proof is that I live an obedient life to him. I'm a Talmudim. I'm a disciple. I'm a follower. The follower wants to become just like his Lord. The Talmudim, the follower, the disciple, submits themselves obediently to all the teachings 
of the word Jesus says command them to obey all things right into the end of the age we read that earlier John 3 and this is one you perhaps have never noticed before John 3 36 it says whoever trusts in the son that's Jesus what do they have present tense so is it presumptuous for anybody in this room to say I know I have eternal life if you have put your trust in Christ it is not presumptuous it is not arrogant it is not proud for you to say you have eternal life you're simply taking God at his promise he promises that anyone that puts their trust in Jesus receives as a free gift eternal life you're as sure heaven as if you've been there 10,000 years whoever whoever you me anybody whoever trusts in the son has present tense eternal life but there's always that isn't there <laughs> but whoever ooh, what is that word disobeys why doesn't it say distrusts but it's not it's a Greek word apitho it means exactly what it says disobeys whoever dis so disobeys is contrasted with trust because they're fused when we trust we obey whoever disobeys the son will not see that life meaning the eternal life but remains subject to God's wrath meaning that I've put myself outside of God's ability to reach into me and work in me so I'm in the place that I'm going to inevitably self-destruct sooner or later uh, when I'm doing my will my will is not sufficient I, I'm not sufficient to direct my own life I'm created being I'm a finite being I need an infinite creator to guide me direct me protect me help me to learn uh, the way of life so whoever trusts the son has eternal life but whoever what disobeys the son why because disobey shows there's no real trust let me show you another one from the book of Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9 it says and because his obedience meaning Jesus his obedience was perfect he lived a, a model life for us of what it means to be completely yielded to the word and the will of God he showed us what that's like we saw the beauty of it because his obedience was perfect he was able to give eternal salvation to all who what does it say how come you never see that on a gospel track how many have ever gotten one of those gospel tracks you know they always have John 3.16 on there. And, of course, in John 3.16, they'll use the King James Version, he that believeth in the Son. And we're like, what, what does believeth in the Son mean? I'm not even sure what the thuf means. You know? <laughs> but that word that is used there in John 3.16, it's a very good biblical word. It is a Greek word, pistis. It, it is the word that is translated belief, trust, reliance, confidence, faith. I use trust today because it communicates accurately the relational connection that God wants to reestablish with human beings we lost relational trust with God in the garden of Eden listening to satanic slander and we've been suspicious of God ever since one of the reasons we don't obey God is we're not so sure that he really cares about our happiness so when God reveals himself in Christ sacrificially loving and good he wins back our trust and now that he has my trust I want to obey him I want to learn his word so that I can do his will. Once again, he's the author of eternal salvation. We all want that. But to all who do what? Obey him. Because when we trust, the acid proof is we obey. Now let's reverse it. When we're disobedient, 
it's indicative we're trusting ourself more than we're trusting him at least in some area of our life we're preferring our way over his way and we get back to that question that Jesus asked why, why do you call me Lord then why are you calling me Lord if you're not going to do what I say he can't bring us into the kind of life that he wants to give us unless we're willing to trust and to follow him here's a statement for you freedom is the result of living in accord with our creator in union in harmony in accord with our creator and our god-given design don't go to the next part yet let this sink in for a minute real freedom comes as i'm living in union with christ my creator in accord with his word his will he designed me and i'm living in accord with my my god-given design i'm an image-bearing being i'm meant to to live like god lives i'm meant to love like god loves and the more i move toward that direction and i do move more toward that direction as i take god's word and i become obedient to it until it becomes habitual and then it starts to become transformational and dynamic the more that happens the more I'm living in accord with my God-given design and I find inwardly freedom freedom so let me give you the second part of it and this as we're living in accord with our design and it brings the fullest development of our God-given capacities and potential it's as I'm living in union with Christ and his word and his will that things come alive in me capacity for example we, we have capacities to feel the same kind of compassion that God does, the same kind of generosity that God does, the same kind of kindness that God does, the same kind of patience that God does, the same kind of forgiveness that God does. We have those capacities, but in most of us, we would admit they're, they're, they're maybe you know, a little underdeveloped. But as we embrace God's word and his will, these things start to come alive and they start to get stronger and bigger and bigger. So we can ultimately live the way God himself lives and love the way God himself loves and then we can fulfill our God-given potential in this life development has to take place before potential full redemptive potential can be realized in our lives John 8 Jesus said it like this Jesus told the people who had faith in him that's that Greek word pistis again faith trust confidence reliance Jesus told the people who had faith or trust in him if conditional promise if you do what keep on obeying how, how long is keep on it's lifelong <laughs> and we that have trusted christ would not want it any other way we we are thrilled every time we go to his word and we learn some new thing he says you know son i want you to learn to do this or son i want you to stop that we're like thank you thank you this is the path to freedom and life thank you if you keep on obeying what I have said, you truly are my disciples, my Talmudim, my followers. You will know, and that word know, it's gnosko Greek word. It means experientially know. I'll know it by experience. Experientially know the truth, and the truth will, this is misquoted all the time in movies. The truth will what? Sets you free. He's saying when, when you become obedient to my word, you're going to see you're going to have the you're going to know the secret inside and you're going to be free and you're going to love real freedom real freedom is not living restraint less real freedom is living in accord with my god-given design and uh, 
then those capacities to love the way God loves and live the way he lives, they start to take off. I tell you for certain that anyone who sins is a what? Slave of sin. The son gives you freedom. If the son gives you freedom, you are free. What is he giving us freedom from there? Is he giving us freedom from the penalty of sin? Is that what that passage is about when he says that anyone who sins is a slave of sin? Is he talking about the penalty of sin? Because we, we are all hyped up in church world about the penalty of sin, the penalty of sin, the penalty of sin. Jesus paid the penalty of my sin. That's all that matters. You better open your eyes and read scripture with clean eyes because in fact it talks about sin as a present tense danger that Christ wants to rescue us from but cannot rescue us from unless we trust him and follow him and obey him we're reading things in the scripture that just are not there I did a whole Bible Institute about this one time I took every passage that deals with this supposed paying penalty aspect of sin and it's just not there the way it's being related today in Christian literature unfortunately so he's saying my danger today is sin sin is my enemy it's not the spice of my life it's not something good it's never something good I'm just stupid and I don't know it until it starts to really affect me and he's saying that when I trust him I will start to be free right now from sin in my life I will see it for what it is I'll see it for the poison that it is I'll see its toxicity I will resist it I will fight it I will uproot it by God's grace because I know it's not ever good for me or anybody that's close to me and it will be a lifelong battle because Christ has opened my eyes I want to live like him I want to love like him I want to be like him I've become free from sin and I know some of you think well, Randy I'm still struggling man that's okay you're struggling God bless you you're free your eyes are open you don't want to do it anymore you're just kind of stuck you let this habit get a little rutted, more rutted in than what you ever anticipated alright let me take you to one more James chapter 1 it says be what doers remember Jesus said some, some listen but they don't put it into practice their foundation for life is not safe he says others listen and obey their foundation will uphold them through all the tests of life be you doers of the word and not hearers only doing what when you're just a hearer only deceiving yourself we've all met those people man they can, they can quote this and quote that and they can spout off this and they know this doctrinal position and yada 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 and yet if disobedience is characterizing their life they're just kidding themselves they're just deceiving themselves however the person who continues to study God's perfect laws and that make people what free they free us it's kind of like a train is a train free when it's on its rails or is a train free when it says I'm going to do it my way and go off the rails no it's free when it's on the rails you go further faster when you're on the rails of God's will and God's word that's freedom and who remain committed to them will be blessed people like that don't merely listen and forget they actually do what God's laws say I'll bet you there's at least one in here that we can't keep God's law Randy Bible says you can't get I don't know man looks to me like we can it says right there they actually do what God's law says if you've put your trust in Christ there's a new motivational power in you there's a new dynamic 
you are absolutely, I am even absolutely able to do the will of God because that's what Christ brings to us, that freedom to actually not just hear the word of God, speculate about it, bicker about it, argue over it, but to do it. Here's where it comes down to this. True freedom enables us to live, I've said this several times in this message, to live as God himself lives and to love as God loves. God, God's commands are not arbitrary. They are for our highest well-being and happiness. He just wants us to experience life the way he himself does and to experience love the way he himself does. And we can. It's a developmental journey. It's a process. I want to close with a, uh, a verse that I've shared the story with lots of times through the years. I, I was about my second, third year maybe of being a Christian. And um, I knew that God told us all through, the, through his word that he wanted us to obey him. And, and I was like so grateful that God forgave all my sins because I had a real pile um, that, that I, was, I was cool. You know, he says, do it, I'm going to do it. You know, I trust him. But I finally ratcheted up the nerve one day and I said, God, I, I'm so grateful for your kindness, your mercy. Man, you, you fathered me. I've never had anybody father me before. You, I'm so thankful. But, but I do want to ask this one question. I hope you don't get angry at me, God. You know, I'm, I'm, this is how timid I was about this at the time. I said, all right, I know you want us to obey you, but why? Why do you want us to obey you? Now, some of you are thinking, boy, you were a really dumb guy back in those days. Yeah, I, I was. <laughs> but I did. I asked the question. No lightning bolts, no, no thunder. You know, my heart kept beating. You know, so I thought, okay, I'm on good ground. Well, within a couple of weeks, I wish I would have measured exactly how long it was. I stumbled across a verse in the Old Testament that literally threw on the lights that changed the entire direction of my understanding of why God does what he does and changed the whole course of um, the way I communicated the truth about God to others and here's what the verse was Deuteronomy 5 29 this is God speaking he says I wish I wish they would always have respect for me in their hearts I wish they would always obey how many of my commands all my commands all then things would what does it say go well with them and with their children forever this just blew the the lenses out i mean i couldn't believe what i was reading i was like you got to be kidding me you got to be kidding me. god you want us to obey you because you know the kind of quality of life that we all want desperately it cannot be had apart from your will, your way. And so you want us to obey because you want to watch us. You want to watch us grow. You want to watch us come alive. You want to watch us become free. You want to watch us develop and become the beautiful beings that you created us to be. And it can't happen unless we trust you enough to obey you. Man, when, when that thing came alive in my heart, Every command that I read in Scripture from then on was like, oh boy, oh boy, this is an invitation to life. And every forbiddance, if God said don't do it, I'm like, thank you, thank you. Don't need any more consequences experientially. I'd rather learn them the easy way than the hard way. Change the direction of my development in life. So, if you're here today and you're a little disoriented, you, you, you kind of caught a, a hook today, and you're feeling a little uncomfortable about your walk with Christ or lack thereof 
a loving God does this to us he, he says we got to get face to face we got to be real with each other we've got to talk about the truth but he does that because he loves us because he knows what's best he wants what's best but he cannot do anything unless we authentically yield our will authentically trust him and then we start to authentically obey him in each and every area of our life so maybe today you were just saying Randy you know I'm already there this just affirms the truth I, I, I feel good about what I heard today but it could be that some of us we're here and we're, we're like I, I need to make some adjustments because I thought I was a Christian and truth be told I'm not uh, I believed in facts about Christ but evidently I've never put authentic trust in him because if I put trust in him I would want to learn his will through his word and I would obey it and I'm not doing that in fact Randy truth be told I could care I don't even, I don't even read the Bible the only time I hear the Bible Randy is on Sundays when I come out and listen to you the rest of the week I, eh, I'm busy man I, don't, I got other stuff to think about there's something wrong with that a, a, a real authentic Christ follower wants to know the will of God as it's given in the word of God so that they can obey it in their life and put it into practice like Jesus said so a little discomfort is good if it leads us to take wise action for the rest of our days a loving God he just kind of calls us all trust me put my word into your hearts put it into your life put it into practice learn to be obedient and you'll find for yourself that it's freedom that you will be blessed with and the quality of life you've always sought in other ways you'll finally acquire uh, by becoming obedient to the Word of God Father help us help us today you you see each of us you know some of us man we've really dug ourselves into complex fixes we've got circumstances we have built up through our years of disobedience that they are feeling somewhat overwhelming give us courage give us determination that this will be the day come hell or high water we will put our trust in you Lord Jesus and we will become obedient to your word and your will in every area of our life help us father help us to take this moment to seize it when the power of evil is broken over us and to walk into your light we ask it all in Christ's name amen